1: Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show.
2: So Christmas came early for City fans this week it seems. A soft penalty and a gift of a red card in the game against Wolves was enough to keep Pep Guardiola's side at the top of the table before Leeds came to the Etihad and played like they have been on the sherry for weeks already. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast and on today's show we'll be reflecting over the last two games and the contrasting performances. Another question to consider is how much the return of fans has changed how City control games. Guardiola's spoken about it this week and we've got Sam Roscoe on the case to investigate. We'll be looking ahead to the game with Newcastle and we've save some time to look back on Sergio Aguero's time with City as well. Following the news, he's been forced to retire on health grounds. I'm David Mooney. I'm bringing the festive cheer this week. I've got two City fans, Howard Hockin. Hello.
3: And one football's Dan Burke. Hello. Not sure about the festive cheer, but I'm here. So <laughs> I,
2: I was, I was going to say, have, have I got the two most hour City fans on for, uh, for for the one where I've said festive cheer, even though it's Whoa. not the one before Christmas?
0: <laughs> How dare you? <laughs>
2: We'll well, yes, that. it has a C question. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say Howard. Sure, like like you of anyone, that's your brand, isn't it? That's what you've hey, built. It is. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. it's
0: made me a millionaire. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
2: right. Uh, let's start. I mean, let's let's start working backwards for this week because uh, I think we we kind of have to begin with the end, and that that kind of leads nonsense that happened on uh, on Tuesday night. Um, Howard, in all honesty, could that could that game have gone any better?
0: In all honesty, in all honesty, no, it could not, no, absolutely perfect. I was quite worried about this game as well. Uh, I I know City only took a point off them last season, that's a long, long time ago, a lot's changed since then. Uh, And I felt that after the Wolves game, which of course discussed, that I didn't know in this the carnage that is December fixture list. I don't know if they brought a lot of energy to this game, they could be a very troublesome side indeed. Even though they had looking at the lineup, you think well we should beat them easily with the players they had out. And really, within three minutes, I think it was or certainly within ten minutes, it was quite clear that City were on it. Lead to play into our hands. And everything just went Perfectly. The only way it could have gone better if we'd hit double figures, which we could have done. Yeah. <laughs> but we've got to take players off as well. We've got to rest key players, take them off. We, our goal difference has been, you know, we've pretty much, well, we've, I think we've pretty much caught up Chelsea and Liverpool because normally we have the best goal difference in a division during the league season. Yeah, you know, we've got work to do there and it, it could be crucial in a close title race. So everything just went perfectly. Players, we wanted to discuss most of all scored. Yeah, it was just absolutely a brilliant, brilliant night. And I was I really wasn't expecting it to be that enjoyable. Yeah, I've just looked up the goal difference.
2: Uh, City plus 31, uh, Liverpool plus 33 and Chelsea plus 27. Uh, City are now ahead of Chelsea on goals scored, uh, five behind Liverpool on goals scored. And you think, Dan, a few weeks ago, we were talking about, you know, the City team, it doesn't concede a lot fair play to it, but it hasn't been scoring like it has in previous years. Now, one game doesn't, doesn't change that, but like it, it does in terms of the table. And when it comes to the end of the season rankings, if you've scored seven, if, if your goal difference is, You know, seven goals in one game or one goal in seven games. It doesn't make any difference.
3: Yeah, I mean we're competing with a with a Liverpool team who look like they're going to score every week, basically, don't they? So we uh, we have to keep keep the goals flowing, and it's nice to see them see them coming now. Um, yeah, you can't argue with seven nil, really, can you? It was a it was a really emphatic display from City. A lot of players who um, perhaps haven't been in, in the greatest form this season. You know, Kevin De Bruyne is the obvious example, really, coming to the fore and playing really well. And and to a man, everyone on the pitch was was brilliant. I thought you know, Rodri was outstanding um, as he has been a lot of the time in fact probably the probably the sort of um the, the most disappointing is probably the wrong word but but Bernardo Silva really didn't have to have to do a lot he missed that chance early doors didn't he and, yeah it's crap was probably yeah <laughs> it's probably, probably his worst game of the season and, and he was still pretty good and then he came off and got his rest and, and yeah everything went to plan I mean a lot of people were, were looking at the team selection before the game weren't they and sort of worrying about how it was going to look had Guardiola sort of lost his mind a little bit and um, it turned out it was quite simple really wasn't it John Stones played right back he played very well there we didn't need a right back in this game who who was going to get forward in the way that uh, Kyle Walker often does. Um, I thought he dealt with Jack Harrison and, and Julia Furpo really well down Leeds's left hand side, and it just created a foundation for for our attacking players to go and go and do the thing. And uh, yeah, it was it was such an entertaining, enjoyable game to watch. I loved every second of it.
2: Yeah, Dan, I was just I was trying to think when when was the last time that a team came to the Etihad and basically went, yeah, you you just you just have the middle of the pitch. I, can't, I honestly <laughs> don't remember that happening.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, I. Obviously, I, I, I understand that Bielsa is a really good coach. I think he has done a really good job with Leeds to get them into the Premier League. Um, I was a little bit confused as well about why people were a little bit worried about this game because I, I've watched Leeds a few times this season and I've been pretty underwhelmed by them. Um, I don't think they're the same team that they were last season. And, and for them to come and, you know, without Calvin Phillips and to just just open up that space, it seemed ridiculously naive for, for a coach with, with Bielsa's pedigree and experience. And, uh, and we, we sort of made hay while the sun shone, didn't we? Roger yeah. was bursting into those. <laughs> Positions like a uh, Prime Yaya Toure, and uh, it was it was yeah a bit lambs to the slaughter weren't it leads really?
0: I think they almost the fact they almost got a point at Chelsea might have put a bit of doubt into your yeah. mind, and the, the the possible theory that they were coming back into some sort of form. We've looked a bit better previous weeks, but yeah. Oh, that was completely irrelevant when it came to it. So. Yeah,
2: I'd never seen that. It. it was the number of the players, Howard, that that just carried the ball into the middle. I've never seen it happen mm. where uh, Diaz did it, where Laporte did it, where Stones did it, where Rodri did it, where Gunderwin did it. Like the number of players that that like sometimes teams just go, okay, that that player is not the best on the ball, so we'll let them have it and let them carry it. Whereas Leeds just went, we'll let any City player who has the ball run into
0: the middle. <laughs> Hey, it, it's strange. I think they, I think it dawned on the players after ten minutes. Well, you know what? I couldn't any of the players. Oh, I can just <laughs> run. I can just carry this ball and keep <laughs> carrying it, and keep carrying it. And that to suggests that oh, they must be playing dead and have ten players in the must be keeping all their players in the penalty area. You know, which has been a problem before, but they weren't doing that either. There was still after they carried it forward, tons of space. There was just space everywhere. Yeah, I mean, Leeds help City, but. I still don't think there's another... There's very few, if any, teams on the planet that would have taken such great advantage of the opportunities Leeds them and City did on Tuesday evening. Yeah, uh, let's talk about some individual players uh,
2: because uh, one of you. I, I, this shows how much I listen to the guests when they're on the show because I can't remember which one of you said it already, and we've only been we've been going less than ten minutes. But uh, <laughs> somebody mentioned Kevin De Bruyne back in form. Um, I think it might have been you, Dan. Um, yeah. he, he scored himself a, a, a brace, two like fantastic goals. Um, I, I'm I'm loath to say that that he's put his injury and his bout of COVID behind him for this season, but the evidence was certainly very encouraging, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, he looks very sharp. He looks he looks like he's back to his best. And I think with him, like a lot of players, he he obviously he got that injury in the Champions League finally. where he went to the Euros, had those injections that that sort of backfired uh on him and, and went wrong and, and, and made him feel worse and um he, he's taken a long time to recover from that. He was approaching a bit of form before he got COVID. I think he played pretty well against uh, United at Old Trafford. Then he gets COVID, and then that knocks him back again. So it's been a it's been a very difficult season for him so far. I don't think I, I always thought that he was going to kind of get back to his best eventually. I don't think it was. Uh, you know, a a sort of terminal problem for him. He he is 30 now, you know, he is sort of getting to that stage of his career where he's either hitting his peak or he's past his peak and we're probably never going to, you know, see a consistent Kevin De Bruyne like we've seen in the past again really, but I think yeah he's he's an outstanding player and he showed in this game what he's what he's capable of again and that and that goal was just brilliant wasn't it just when he when he hits the ball like that there's not a lot awful lot anyone can do about it.
2: Yeah I was gonna say Howard there's some t- there's something nice isn't there when De Bruyne just decides to hit it really hard. Yeah <laughs> I, like
0: <laughs> I read somewhere it's the second hardest goal second, well, yeah, 70 kilometres an hour or something. It's the second fastest, hardest hit goal of the season in the Premier League. I don't know if that's true. But, well, it sounds pretty true, to be honest, because (laughs) when I saw it live, I thought, oh, that's top corner, wow, absolute, you know, unstoppable. It wasn't in the top corner, and yet the keeper still had no chance whatsoever of saving that shot. It was such power it was hit with. And, yeah, it's just... There's two brilliant Kevin De Bruyne sights that I've missed. Him hitting a shot like that and him just counter-attacking Kevin De Bruyne where obviously the impossible passes are probably the third thing. Yeah. But the second thing is just the him bursting past the player and counter-attacking and just yeah, bursting up the pitch with the ball. It's just a joy to see him doing that repeatedly again in a match. Yeah,
2: let's not let, let let's not get too greedy with all three things at once, shall we? It was uh, you, you <laughs> yeah. know we, we, we got we got two of them and seven nil, so let's yeah let's let's not get too uh, too greedy. Um, the the other one, Howard was uh, was Jack Grealish, who it was about three or four minutes in where it, it started to dawn on me that this could be the game that he needs, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think. Well, obviously opinions are split on Jack Grealish very much. I think amongst the City fan base, I think he's doing fine. But eventually, well, I expect him to improve. I expect him in a pep side to be better second season than first season. And he has to add. It's just the, the way of, it, of being an attacking player at City. You have to add stats to your game. You do have to add them. You have to add assists. You have to add goals. Now, if Jack Grealish sets up someone who misses an open goal, it's not his fault. But obviously, there's improvements to come. And to get a goal, I think, is just massive for him. For his confidence, I don't think he's low on confidence, but I felt Wolves was, you know, the miss against Wolves will have hit him, I think. It's yeah. got to get into your head. He's, a, he's coming to your know, best teams in the world on a huge transfer fee. You can't just push aside and stuff like that. Uh, it was a perfect game for him. He uh, was... He might have waned slightly later in the game, but it was involved in the build-up to both the fourth and fifth goals as well, I think, uh, earlier in the second half. And yeah, it's just, again, just an excellent game for him and just hope he takes it on from here. And yeah, adds more goals, a few assists, it'll do in a world of good, but I'm not concerned about him whatsoever. He does have improvements to make. He has to go up different levels, but we have to be patient with him as well.
3: Yeah.
2: Dan, if you'd got his shirt at the end of the game, would you have smelt it as well? Absolutely.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll still be smelling it now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, it was uh, the, the number of times where, like he was another one, wasn't he, Dan, where he was carrying it really well. The, the, the number of times where he found himself uh, on the touchline and either able to go around the outside or able to drive in towards the box. He, he, he'd start to get closed down, but then a little shimmy and he'd find a, a little bit of uh, a little bit of space again. And uh, like he was starting to find those passes as well.
3: Yeah, he he looks to me like someone who is um, aware or was aware that there was a bit of impatience growing among the fan base with him. I don't know if that transmits in in the stadium during matches, but that's certainly sort of the case on social media at the moment. I'm seeing a a few sort of people saying, wow, why did we sign him? You know, 100 million for this is, you know, we should be doing so much better. I thought it was quite telling that Guardiola... Um, bigged him up quite a bit in the in the pre-match press conference and I don't know how much attention players pay to that kind of stuff but if, if Grealish had heard those comments maybe that's given him a, a, a big boost and, and yeah he looks like someone who's kind of determined to, to prove himself in this in this game in particular and yeah like Howard said it there's, there's no need to worry about Jack Grealish we've got a great team alright we spent 100 million on him maybe we didn't need to spend that amount of money maybe we didn't need him in the summer necessarily but I'm so confident that he's going to be a good player for us in future a great player in fact and uh, it's just going to take a little bit of time, you know. There was a pattern of players taking time to find their feet in Guardiola's teams, and as Guardiola said, he's doing all the right things. He's he's doing everything right. It's just not quite coming off for him at times, and and hopefully this will uh, this will this will kickstart his season a little bit more, and um, yeah, we'll start seeing a few more uh, goals from him now.
2: Yeah, I reckon if you go back a couple of years, we're probably having these same discussions about Riyad Mahrez, you know. Um, and yeah. like he was another one again, again against Leeds. Uh, he looked really in the mood for it. It was a, kind of a little bit unfortunate that his goal was deflected because that's, uh, that's, that's something that, that people can detract from his performance that, well, he only scored because it, it deflected, but there was a number of opportunities where I thought he was quite unlucky not to have had his second. And I thought he just, I thought he looked really in the mood for it as well.
3: Yeah, the, the, well, there was a there was a point during the second half where he kept checking it onto his left foot as he does or whipping balls into the box. I was kind of thinking, do Leeds want to try and stop this? Maybe, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think you can no. really when he, when he wants to do it. You can't do anything about it. He's that he's such a classy player, and yeah, he's a perfect example of someone who took a little bit of time to settle, and now he's settled. He's. he's you know, one of our best players, really. I think his contribution goes under the radar a little bit still. And I think if he was in any other team, and I'm including kind of like Liverpool and Chelsea in this, he would be one of the stars of the show. But the way that we are with our kind of deep squad and our our, our rotating forward line, he, he sort of gets rotated in and out of the team a lot. And, you, you know, you kind of don't, don't notice him when he's not there sometimes is a weird things to say but he's he's kind of like you know Sterling and and, and Jesus he's, he's in that kind of stable of players where they come in and out and they do the bit and then they go out and sit on the bench again and it wouldn't surprise me if Mahrez was on the bench for the next game and someone else comes in but that's just the way it is at City really but yeah I, th- I think he's he's a superb player and I'm, I'm always happy to see him on the team sheet nowadays.
2: Yeah, have you noticed that he goes down the outside a little bit more Howard this season? It's certainly when he, even when he's playing on the right hand side, and we know he loves to check in on his left. There's a number of times this season where I've where I've consciously realised he's gone around the outside on his right, as if it's a, as if it's something that he's been working on.
0: I'll take your word for it. <laughs> uh, well, in a way, yeah, because when we've struggled, and it's not just him, when we've struggled against low blocks and teams that don't want to come out and play, and after the Leeds game, you can see why. Then it can be predictable. It's pre- you yeah, know, you think of Robin. Robin was, <laughs> I, Robin. you knew what he was going to do, but you couldn't stop it. He'd uh, it it always come inside, but he'd whip it into the top corner all the time. But I don't think anyone's on that level of, like, you can still stop it. when If you know a player's one-footed and you know what they're going to do, it's obviously so much easier to deal with. So if he is working that into the game, his game, that is absolutely brilliant because it puts, you know, it leaves... Uh, defenders unsure of, of where to commit and you know how to defend basically, and it gives obviously city to, to attack far more options. So yeah, I don't, it's the one who absolutely spoils fans. But the thing that <laughs> still surprises me is how one footed a lot of our players are, and that that can lead to predictable football because they can only go one way. So if if players are working on, you know, yeah on both feet basically and it just gives us even more of an arsenal going forward in future games yeah, there, there was one moment though where uh, City had had a corner and uh, Mahrez and Grealish
2: had swapped over because of uh, the, the setup from the corner um, and the ball got cleared. So they're still in that, they're not in that reset position. And I remember Grealish picking the ball up on the right-hand side and I was thinking, well, go on, you're right-footed on the right-hand side. Let's see what happens now. See if you go around the outside. And he's still cut inside, but this time onto his left. And I was like, okay, maybe it's just the one thing he wants to do all the time. He's just cut inside, but here we are. Um, uh, I think it was you. This is again testing my memory of of uh, what we've done already. You know, just over fifteen minutes into the show, and I think it was you, Howard, that said uh, some players got uh, got rest during the game. Um, and I suppose it's quite telling, isn't it, that uh, that that Guardiola took Bernardo off at half time, Rodri off on fifty six minutes, and Diaz off on sixty five minutes. Three subs before, like on on, on or before sixty five minutes, when Guardiola normally doesn't make any till about seventy.
0: Yeah. And if you are going to name, who do you want to come off if it's going well? Then <laughs> it's those three. Uh, but uh, Bernardo had a little niggle, apparently felt a bit of discomfort. Uh, so it was, he's 3-0 up at half-time at home to Leeds. <laughs> you're not going to take any <laughs> risk with him, are you? You, yeah, you bring yeah. him off and it doesn't seem to be anything serious. Got a five-day gap between games. Hopefully, it's, yeah, he'll be absolutely fine and available for selection. But yeah, I mean, it's just pick three, and they're the three you take. That's just part of the thing. When it's going well, use your substitutes. <laughs> you know, it's just like we've got that fourth. I'm still, obviously, as the the nervous uh, City fan, still not totally comfortable until the fourth goal goes in. Uh, but it came so early in the second half that Leeds were beating it. In that moment, as soon as Morris's goal goes in, Leeds are, the heads are down, they're done, absolutely done. They were probably trying to defend for 3-0 anyway in that second half, but they're done at 4-0 and you could bring on any number of players who could really you know, pad the stats out in that second half. So it would have been very frustrating if you hadn't done that, to be honest. So it was good to see. Uh, could have brought some youth players on maybe, but hey, can't have everything. <laughs>
2: The players, in particular, Dan. Um, I mean, Rodri is, is is the one you mentioned before about his performance. I think I, I think you kind of knew what game you were going to get the moment that he. I think he he made two kind of block challenges on his way into setting up Foden's goal, and then one of them was with the goalkeeper. It's like like if that's happening from Rodri, you know, it's going to be a, a bit of a balmy match, don't you?
3: <laughs> yeah, the second goal, he was heavily involved in that as well, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I just think. I'm just in love with this man at the moment, to be honest with you. I love watching him. I, you, you watch him, you know, I I've, I was as big a sceptic, Roger sceptic as anyone in, in the past couple of seasons. You know, even the back end of last season, he lost his place to Fernandinho and um, didn't, you know, get a, get a run out in the Champions League final. And you kind of think, what's, what? what is the point of this guy? But, he's come in the season and been absolutely superb he, lo- he looks physically bigger and stronger i don't know if if he is but he he certainly exudes that kind of you know monstrousness on the on the pitch at the moment it's um he's he's receiving the ball in in better ways than he has before i think he's he's sort of really worked on sort of receiving the ball with it, with the right body shape to move it on and and, and turn quickly um, and that's that's really helping our build up play and and he's he's getting into positions he's scoring incredible goals he's you know W- w- blocking things online, winning tackles—he's doing everything. He's everywhere on the pitch at once. It seems he's 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 all over the place, and it's uh, in the best possible way. And it's it's just yeah, I'm just enjoying watching him so much and. Also watching him with a, a tiny little bit of worry that what do we look like if he can't play at any point? Yeah. If he's out for a few games, what does it look like? Is Fernandinho capable of, of doing his job now? Um, it was, it was the other way around in the past, wasn't it? Really? You sort of wonder whether Rodri was good enough to fill Fernandinho's shoes. It's, it's now the other way around. So yeah. But he's just he's just brilliant. I love him.
2: I've just checked if monstrousness would be the right word uh to describe him. Because I, I wasn't I I was just checking to see if it was a word to start with. Um but it means shockingly hideous or frightful in appearance.
3: <laughs> I mean <laughs> yeah to the opposition, yeah, I suppose he is, yeah. Yeah,
2: <laughs> no, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Um uh, the other the other two, Howard, Diaz and, and Bernardo have both been important this season. Can we talk a little bit about the uh, attempted lie down block by Ruben Diaz in the second half? That that was just that was just a bit weird, wasn't it? <laughs>
0: No, not at all. It's, <laughs> it's pure defending. It's sadly lacking from the game nowadays. I, mean, I saw Liverpool, well, one of those endless Liverpool accounts, uh, put that clip on Twitter as a joke. I mean, just why don't you just admit you've never been near a football ground and been following football for <laughs> 10 years? It's, he's a pure defender who would do anything, in the same way Sean go would do anything... <laughs> He'll stick his ass towards a ball to get it into the goal. He'll do anything to keep it out of the goal. He's pure defender. It's sadly lacking in the game because it's pretty much impossible to defend properly in a penalty area anymore. They they, they run like they're in river dance with their hands behind their back because they don't <laughs> want to give away penalties for handball. You go anywhere near try trying to attack other players going to be rolling around. It's just so nice to see someone just throw their body in. Yeah, it might not look aesthetically pleasing, but... He he flopped like a dead fish. (laughs) He'll fight. Yeah, (laughs) but he'll fight to get... It's just like, yeah, whatever the score, whatever the situation, he just will do anything. He doesn't care what it looks like to, to block a ball. And... It kind of worked as well. It might not have hit him, but you know,
4: <laughs> it might have it put the player off <laughs> enough
0: anyway. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm all for it anyway. I,
3: I love that um, that that whole that whole sort of passage of play. Actually, it was sort of leads his first opening of the game, and to see how quickly City got men back into the six yard box to defend that and stuff it out was was really really good. And we, we've got the best defense in Europe, I think. <laughs> At the moment, which is something that I never really thought I'd say about a Guardiola team a few years ago, it was never really a priority, was it? But we, now we've got a we've got a great defense, incredible defense, and we're scoring seven goals, and yeah, everything's great at the well, moment, isn't it?
0: I mean, that's good because we had conceded what was it, four or five games on the row. Yeah, we, we won the games, mm. but it was conceded five in a row. So to get two clean sheets in the week, uh, yeah, is just obviously Anderson would love that. But I think the team love it as well as a whole to keep a clean sheet.
2: Yeah, Diaz definitely does as well. That's the oh, yeah. uh, that's, that's the other thing. <laughs> uh, while we're on defending in the penalty area, uh, let's turn our attention a little bit to the Wolves game because uh, it, Dan, it, it's it, it's a bad performance from the from the referee, isn't it? When he gives a soft red card to the opposition and a dodgy penalty, and fans still go, "God, he was crap, wasn't he?"
3: Yes. Yeah, He's not a good referee. He never has been. I've never been a fan of his. And um, he, he, his, his lack of control over this game was really poor. And I think you can come away as a City fan and say, that penalty probably shouldn't have been given. And uh, I don't know about the red card. I think that was probably fair enough, to be honest. Well, I think I'll-
2: I was going to say, Howard, I'd like, say soft red card, but like John Moss genuinely didn't have any choice, did he? He'd booked Rodri for a, a, a soft foul you know, a few minutes earlier. So when, um, when Jimenez does that back, it's kind of like, well, I've got to give him a yellow card for that. I've set the, set the bar already. And then yeah. Jimenez, has ki- he's kicked the ball away and got away with that, and then he's not moved back. So like, well, what choice has he got?
0: Well, I've discussed it. Yeah, the first one, it doesn't really matter if it's soft or not. Soft yellow cards are given out. He, you know, you then get on with it, you stay away, you get on with the game. I mean, he's he's probably frustrated a bit, uh, the Wolves play, because he's, I mean, what was his role in that match? It was literally just like, I don't know, a dog chasing a boomerang in, in a park, just like <laughs> running around. The ball never came his way, he's frustrated. You get that, but it's like stupidity is off the scale. The second yellow card is absolutely correct, absolutely correct it is that's the laws of the game he has to get a second out for that so you should have no sympathy for him if he if it was soft the first one maybe a bit and it doesn't really matter you soft cards are given out and you behave yourself and you stay away from trouble as thousands of other players do when they want a yellow so and yeah Moss was just he'd lost control of the match but that was one of the few things he got absolutely spot on
2: yeah, in fairness, Dan, I do think um, I don't think I've seen anything from outside like criticism of, of Moss for uh, for giving the red card. It was all criticism of him, and as wasn't it?
3: Pretty much, yeah. Uh, it's just a bit bit brainless from him, really, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't. Like I said, yeah, you see yellow, card, soft yellow cards given all the time. We had a couple of soft yellow cards in the game already, and I, th- I almost think that the, the yellow card that Jimenez got was Moss kind of sort of evening it out a little bit, which you see referees doing an awful lot, don't you? So once you want on a yellow card, you have to just be really careful, and uh, <laughs> what to, to get a second yellow card within what forty eight seconds was it or something 38, it's just, 38 it was, 38, yeah It's just insane, yeah, yeah. Um,
2: let's let's finish the first part of the show with the VAR calls uh, because. Um, In the the way that I do, I've gone and found out the the, uh, reasoning for uh, the the penalty calls. Let's start with uh, the penalty that was given. Uh, Jean Moutinho, uh, the arm is certainly in an unnatural position. uh, So therefore, the decision for the VAR is not whether or not it's a clear and obvious error. Um, The VAR basically has to find definitive evidence that the ball didn't hit the arm. Uh, the deflection off the ribs doesn't matter because of where the arm is. Uh, and because the VAR basically couldn't find the the image that showed that the ball did not hit Moutinho's arm, it won't overturn the decision that, that John Moss has given. That being said, Dan, like John Moss probably shouldn't have given the penalty in the first place. And if he hadn't, the VAR wouldn't then have overturned it and said, yes, that's a penalty.
3: Yeah, I don't think it was a penalty. Yeah, I was I was getting pretty anxious about this game in the second half and thinking it was going to be one of them where we'd probably draw nil-nil and and, and lament the, the drop points. So when that penalty was given, I was I was delighted, obviously. But when you when you seen the replays back, I was pretty surprised that it wasn't overturned, really. I I think VAR has definitely uh it's definitely improved this this season. I don't know whether that is just because they're taking a more sort of lackadaisical <laughs> approach to it and just letting things go and stuff like that. But yeah, it's it's, it's I'm still not not sure on this clear and obvious thing. It's it's it seems like too loose a definition for me. I feel like with something like that, there should be some sort of intervention because how could the referee really well, clear, make a judgment call or something like that?
2: Yeah, clear and obvious in this in this position here would be uh, that either the ball hasn't hit his arm, which is which is what it was looking for, or his arm wasn't in in an, an unnatural position. Well, it was, mm. so that like that that that's that that's what the error is, and because it's not a clear and obvious error, that the ball hasn't hit his arm. Um they've
3: they they've they've stuck with the on field decision. Yeah, I don't know what the ref's view of it was and, and if he had a even if he had a good view of it, it might have looked like it had hit Martinio's arm, but the replay showed that it didn't, so it's like surely you have to you have to intervene there. It doesn't make any sense it's to of, me. One of those weird games where City definitely deserved
0: a penalty for me during the game. I'm just not sure it was <laughs> deserved when we actually mm. got it. <laughs> Yeah, well, the the, the
2: other one, um, the that match of the day highlighted it. Max Kilman in the first half leaning into uh, Jack Grealish's cross, I think it was. Uh, the ball hit him around the badge, and uh, just in the in the Premier League, this has constantly been judged as as a fair place for the ball to uh, to, to to strike on the on the level of the arm. Um, and so the fact that he leans into it doesn't matter because it, like, if he hadn't leaned into it, it's still not judged as handball. There is, It's just not been judged as handball this season. And I think that one, weirdly, is a penalty, Howard.
0: <laughs> well, I've, I've seen it still and it does, It seems a bit lower than that. I thought it was touching near his elbow. So I just don't agree with it. I mean, is it Dale Johnson on Twitter always gives a VAR update early yeah. in the week and he knows his stuff and appreciates his views? You can still give an opinion sometimes, and say, "Well, yes, you've explained why, but I don't agree with it. I think, I think, it, I think it's a bit lower down than they say it was. I don't think it was on the badge. Is the badge like upper arm? Upper? Is it middle of upper arm where yeah. the badge is? I'm not, yeah. It's, I think it's, 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 this, it's this mysterious T-shirt line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all ridiculous. Isn't it? I mean, it's like again, if you'd given it, would it have been overturned? I don't know. But there's a third. I think. The third one that I can't find a replay for is when uh, Ryan Sterling allegedly poked Saïs in the the eye. He was being held back as he went into the penalty area. That's the penalty for me. And, Mm. of course, he doesn't go down, so you don't get it. That's why players go down, because once that move's broken down, which it did within one or two seconds... He should be pointing to the spot. He was drag. As far as I can remember, he was dragging him back in the area, maybe outside as well. But it doesn't appear on the uh, replay on the match highlights. So, as I say, overall yeah it was our first league penalty of the season i think overall i think there's a penalty in there somewhere but that's probably not how the game should be run yeah the the thing
3: that the thing that annoyed me about the post-match discourse was all this i mean obviously liverpool and chelsea both got penalties on the same day and it was all yes it's the referee favoring the big clubs again it's like when was last time we got a dodgy penalty like it hardly ever happens to city does it It's like you said first league penalty of the season yeah. It's, yeah, like, the big, it's not something of the that big, happens every week, is it? Yeah. No,
0: the, the big clubs and United all won with a penalty <laughs> in the weekend. So. I think that yeah. it, just, it just felt like everyone scraped through that weekend with a win without mm. perhaps yeah getting a bit of luck on the, the way. But it's no, there's no conspiracy there. Yeah. Well, not for City. Not, not for City,
2: City anyway, yeah. yeah we'll, we'll, we'll leave everybody else to make the judgments elsewhere. Um, let's, let's move on. Uh, on Tuesday evening, the UK government voted through its Plan B for coronavirus measures. As it stands, football will still go ahead with crowds, but supporters will need to show COVID passes to gain entry into stadiums and face masks need to be worn in indoor settings. Uh, we've just completed a season that was played mostly behind closed doors and it might have changed the way that City played as well. We hear all the time that the fans can beat the 12th man, but in City's case, can that encouragement actually cause a problem sometimes? We've put Sam Roscoe on the case. <laughs>
1: Last February on the podcast, City fan Dan Burke said this.
3: It's a combination of really good pressing and really good possession play. Like Maybe in the past, I think the possession has been decent, but the pressing's been awful, or vice versa. But I think they're just operating on on like a really high level in all departments at the moment. And I think the the off-the-ball movement is probably as good as it's ever been under Guardiola, and the opposition just can't get near us at times.
1: He was describing how City had transformed their style of play at the beginning of the 2021 calendar year. In the first half of last season, City hadn't been dominating games, but by the time Dan was speaking on this particular episode of the podcast, Pep Guardiola had just led the team to 19
3: wins in a row. I think the empty stadiums have have been beneficial to City. City don't have to worry about external influences like a style crowd when they go away from home now. The games are being played under kind of laboratory conditions and I think it suits City because all they have to worry about now is going on the pitch and being the better football team and almost all the time they will be better than whoever they come up against.
1: That could be one reason why City were so good last year. The emotion of the fans wasn't a factor and the players could concentrate on what they were being coached to do but maybe it only suited City because they were in form. Here's Liverpool fan Neil Atkinson talking about the impact of behind-closed-doors games ahead of City's 4-1 win at Anfield that season. What we've struggled with this season is sides committing to a certain shape, getting encouragement because Liverpool aren't playing that well and absolutely still sticking with that shape. So a really good example is the Newcastle away game. Under a normal circumstance, there are 50,000 drunken maniacs in St James's Park. And when it's 0-0 with 20 to go, no matter how good your shapework's been for the previous 70 minutes, you, the, the crowd are saying, go and score one, go and score one, and Newcastle just stick with the shape, because there's no crowding. Games becoming emotional and getting carried away from footballers isn't happening. Put simply, players make better decisions when there's no emotional pressure from their own fans when they're at home, and no hostile pressure from opposition fans in away games. Perhaps this week, there's been evidence of that with City.
4: We won with fans or we won without fans, and without fans is exception. We play all our lives, being teenagers, being in academy, being in the professional world with fans. So it's not absolutely a problem, and I think the players give the enough adrenaline and enough energy, you play with our fans or against them to do what you have to do.
1: That was Guardiola speaking before the 1-0 win over Wolves on Saturday when we asked him if it was harder for his players to make good decisions now that the fans were back in grounds. But then after the match, he gave a slightly different answer.
4: We lost simple balls, four or five simple balls, that is not necessary. And we break in this situation because we play at home, because demanding the people and when that happened, you lose the balls, easy balls. And after the counter-attack, we didn't defend well the throw-ins, we didn't defend well. The high positions, like we have one more man, we drop too much to defend the result, it is completely the opposite. The manager was actually asked
1: how important Edison's save from Max Kilman was in the final few minutes. But instead of talking about that, he gave an interesting insight into how protecting a narrow lead in front of your own fans can be difficult. Because the supporters want to see the goal that kills the game.
4: We were really good with 11, he could not run, they didn't do one shoot and target with 11. At the end, because we didn't press good, we, we drop, we drop. We play with emotion, you know. It's last minutes, one zero. It's not, the game knows over, and, and that's happened. But we create enough chances and clear ones to score more goals. City have started the season very
1: well, but they've still had some minor issues when it comes to how to play against some teams at the Etihad.
4: In this type of games, like the team comes to defend, expect the episodic action. We can, you cannot do mistakes. We did it in Crystal Palace. In Southampton we were not good, we played not good, and that's why it happened, but at the Crystal Palace we did enough mistakes that to put me. they are waiting for that. Last term might
1: have started slowly because City were getting used to playing in the pandemic, so maybe those performances against teams like Southampton and Crystal Palace could be down to the players getting used to having a home crowd once again. It's probably not a major issue. Just a few minutes ago, we played a clip of Guardiola where he said that City have won titles with and without fans. And, as he always says, City will adapt to whatever the situation is. After all, this season's been going all right so far.
2: Hi, I'm Paul Walsh and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast.
1: And under every manager, just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's (laughs) statcity.co.uk. Support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
2: That was Sam Roscoe looking at the influence of uh, the fans inside the Etihad. Um, just before we move on, obviously, uh, Dan, the, the situation with, with Omicron is, is is changing constantly in the UK at the moment. You're in Germany right now. So, uh, I mean, games there have been going behind closed doors, have they? Is it, is it a national thing or is it uh, still regional?
3: Still regional, yeah. Some of them have been completely behind closed doors. Some of them have just had a, a sort of percentage of fans. Um, the Bayern Munich, Brussels Dortmund game a few weeks ago, there was fifteen thousand fans there. So, yeah, they've they've been pretty strict about the measures here. Um, most of life is kind of going on as normal. and um, They've actually closed the nightclubs now, or or you're not allowed to go to a night... You can go to a nightclub, but you're not allowed to dance in the nightclub. You can still go to a bar and restaurant, but you can...
2: You can go to a bar and restaurant, but you can't eat or drink.
3: No, you can't. You can't eat or drink. Thankfully, yeah, yeah. But but just no, no dancing. You've got to remain seated at all time, which makes me think they should like open a nightclub where everyone's on like office chairs. You know, we can just roll around. <laughs> That'd be the solution to me. But uh, yeah. yeah, in terms of the football, it's um, it's it's taking a bit of a. Uh, but they've got they've got the winter break coming up here as well now, so right. Yeah, things are shutting down anyway.
2: Yeah, things shut down anyway. Uh, Howard, are you Are you nervous yeah. that uh, it's a busy schedule for, for teams in England over the Christmas period? Uh, are you nervous that we might go behind closed doors for a bit?
0: Yeah, I think the, the new issue here is that it's players testing positive, not the general population. It's not just, let's look at the figures nationally. If players are testing positive, then you can't play games behind closed doors. You just have no football. And it does feel, I'm afraid, that that's where we're heading for. Uh, Now, there's a winter break here at the end of January, so it's a long way away. Yeah, Perhaps move it. Perhaps we have a summer without a major competition, Uh, well, without the World Cup. Uh, We do have some leeway there. It does feel uh, that... We are heading towards more and more cancellations. It's it's just inevitable in a way. Uh, the safety of players and obviously fans are both equally important. And when it gets to the point that that safety cannot be guaranteed, then unfortunately there's nothing else to do. But we talked, yeah, well we talked about this originally in Project Restart and all that. We've got, you know, time is just whatever you want it to be. If, if it needs to stop for a couple of weeks, then stop for a couple of weeks and then carry on after that. But I guess time will tell. But I've, there's going to be, at the very least, there's going to be a lot of individ, individual games called off in yeah. the next couple of weeks across the leagues. That's just now inevitable. Yeah.
2: Well, at uh, time of recording, City's game against Newcastle is going ahead on uh, on Sunday. Um, Dan, it's amazing what a 7-0 win can do for your confidence, isn't it?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to be too confident going into this game, but I do think we are, you know, coming up against the worst team in the league as well. So it does seem like uh, a case of easy pickings, doesn't it? Really, which is the, the famous last words, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to see past the win, really.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um, just looking at the schedule as well, Howard. We're talking about uh, players getting players in form and uh, and getting players rest. Who who do you think needs to be on the pitch at any point in this game, and who needs to just kind of like have
0: their minutes managed right now? I honestly don't think it matters. <laughs> I think we're you can't. Well, Torres is out, and Walker was not fully fit apparently for the game against Leeds. Otherwise, you have got a five. Day gap from the Leeds game, which, let's be honest, I still think City were probably third gear in that second half, and we took three players off. Would then, would unless I am wrong, do correct me. Uh, there is no match for a week after the Newcastle game, is there not? Until uh, I think it's, it's it's League Cup week, isn't it? So I think the City are out. Exactly. So there is no. no no game. So essentially, they can just pick. He can just pick the team he wants to pick for me. I don't. I don't see. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne. Perhaps you keep playing him now because he's come back in. He's putting that performance. Phil Foden's come in excellent. I don't know the stats behind him. Maybe they really need, but still to keep building match fitness and rhythm and stuff like that. But essentially, <laughs> pick whoever you want, <laughs> whoever's available. Uh, it's we've actually not got to play midweek, and if they're showing, you know, if the you you pick from your pool of players who are showing total 100% fitness.
2: Yeah. The, the, I mean, this is the the interesting thing, Dan. We always talk when... Well, City have these games, don't they, where where outsiders always say, ah, well, you see the, the, the strength in depth that City have got. They, they've named a team there that's strong enough to win this game. And then you look at the team, and it is a team that's strong enough to win this game. But it's like the team that faced Leeds at the Etihad last season, where it's just basically all the players that aren't going to play. And it's not a cohesive system. So there is a there is an element of balance here, isn't there? When you rest in players, that when you rotate players, it needs to be kind of not too much.
3: Yeah, there is. Yeah, and there's also the the aspects of of trying to keep everyone's rhythm going as well, um, which is I think was the case with the the Leipzig game the other week. A lot of people were surprised, first of all, with the team selection and the subs that you know we didn't really bring any youngsters on, and a lot of people were a bit disappointed with that. But I think a lot of times people kind of see Guardiola as this kind of like mad professor who just kind of does things on a whim and, and does does what he wants, but there's a whole sports science department behind him <laughs> who who are sort of instructing him in these decisions. And I think going, like, a lot no, of the time. No, 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 don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah. But yeah, I think I think I think it seems to be the case this season that they are they are trying to keep everyone's rhythm and keep give give everyone a, a certain amount of minutes and and keep that ticking over. So, I, th- I think there will be changes for this Newcastle game, but I don't think they're going to be wholesale changes. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think Kyle Walker will will come back in if or, or Angel Cancelo. Um, you would imagine that Raheem Sterling will get a run out, Gabriel Jesus as well. Um, I don't know who who drops well, that's, out for that's them. Four
2: changes, right there, though. That's the thing. Yeah,
3: yes, but I mean, that's that's pretty normal, isn't it? It's pretty normal that we, that we might make four or five changes per game, really. So, yeah, I don't think he's going to go too mad. I don't think we're going to see any young players in this game, really, um, or, or certainly from the start. But yeah, yeah.
2: Let's uh, let, let's make you feel a little bit ner- more nervous, Howard, uh, because Newcastle not a great team, but uh, Guardiola's record there it looks all right because it's played five, one, three, drawn one. Um, but one of those wins was that four three nonsense last season after they'd already won the title, and mm-hmm. another and, and another win was a very very nervy one nil.
0: Yeah, there's a two all in there as well. When
2: yeah, that was the, that, that's the single Talking drop.
0: about De Bruyne, yeah, super strikes. Uh, which I remember watching Somewhere Abroad that ruined my weekend. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it's strange. Yeah, I, I still remember yeah, the, the 2 1 defeat that I thought had cost us the title. It's a, it's a strange one. But as I say, if City go out like they do, I can't see Newcastle playing dead and just stacking their penalty area. And it, it's a very strange situation for Newcastle is that the team isn't very good. So, it's, if City turn up, they should absolutely you know, they should put three or four past them easily. I don't see any other outcome. And to be honest, it doesn't really matter what happened two or three years ago. Yeah, But even though Nicos in a very difficult position here, being the richest club in the world, but might well get relegated, the fans are obviously reinvigorated because of the new ownership. And there will be a great atmosphere there. I don't think that really matters to City players. I think they'll. It's it's interesting. Yeah. Well, I I mean, they've played, yeah, they've they've been there and done it. And of course, it's an advantage. I mean, I I look at Liverpool, by the time people listen to this, Liverpool will probably put 10 past Newcastle on the Thursday night game (laughs) if it goes ahead. And I see that as being an absolute thrashing. It's obviously harder for City going to Newcastle, being the away team, I think, playing them at home. But the fact is, are. Our away form this season has just has been as good as our, our performances. Definitely, has been as good as our home performances. I think you know some of our most troublesome games have been like Crystal Palace, the Southampton draw, even like two 0 win over Burnley was, and Wolves. You know, uh, if City are focused and on form, they win that game easily. But Newcastle will fight. I don't think we'll just go out there and put another seven pass the team. Yeah, but I think eventually the class has to tell in that game.
2: I, I just wonder, like, Dan, we heard Sam a few minutes ago on, on the different pressures faced by creating, created by having fans in, this, in the stadium. Um, I, I just wonder how much fans in St. James's Park actually help City. Because like, <laughs> like well in, in that sense that fans in the Etihad don't maybe help city in that that you know the fans are frustrated because what's happening on the pitch is not what they want to see but it is what Guardiola wants to see that that kind of disassociation with with, with kind of expectations and then you look at, at St. James's Park the fans at St. James's Park and are going to be going to Newcastle get amongst them get at them get at them and all that does is encourage them to break the shape and allow city to play through them
3: yeah that, the the a team with a sort of lack of identity at the moment as well, aren't they? Eddie Howe's taking over. He's trying to play this new style of football with a, with a bunch of players who aren't really adapting to it at the moment, and who aren't, don't know what the futures look like. So it's a very uh, it's a very messy club at the moment, really. And it seems like something that we could take advantage of. I mean, you you looked at the game, the first game for them post takeover when they played Tottenham, and the atmosphere was incredible, and they were sort of one nil down after a few minutes and ended up losing, and and it it, it was. I feel like that sort of buzz has kind of has kind of fizzled out a little bit for them now, and uh, maybe it'll be different in a in a pre Christmas game with uh, you know all their fans have been on the, the Newcastle Brown Ale all afternoon, and um, <laughs> they, they might they might be up for it. They might uh, bring bring the noise, but I, I feel like yeah, City are just good enough to kind of cut through that at the moment, and we're not really letting that affect us at all, which is uh, which is very encouraging. I do wonder what changes they'll make because if they've had to play on a Thursday night we played on
0: Tuesday night, then mm. just puts them at a bigger disadvantage.
3: So. And they'll have played Liverpool away, which is, yeah. you know, hopefully Liverpool will just butter them up for us, really.
2: <laughs> yeah, hopefully. It might not be that deep. They might just roll over and die at Anfield because they're going, <laughs> yeah. well, there's nothing we're going to get out of this one. Yeah, there we go. Um, just a final question on this game, Howard. Uh, are you ready for the off-the-pitch narrative of this week? And uh, how, how how do you plan to deal with it? Oh, do you mean
0: the ownership?
2: Yeah, it's the ownership. Oh, it's the, the ownership derby, isn't
0: it? <laughs> uh, no, I'm past caring. <laughs> I had not even thought about that. <laughs> oh God, what new name are they going to come up with for this one? <laughs> I uh, haven't got one. Yeah, no, I haven't got one. To be honest, I'm past, no, I'm past caring. I don't, I don't read previews of matches because it's yeah, there's, there's nothing to learn anymore, is it? I know what's, I know the situation. I know what's involved. Uh, I'll just take a I'll keep a well away from the internet perhaps over the weekend and just focus on the match itself so you liar! There's no way you're you're you stayed away from uh, from Twitter. There is no way. <laughs> well, I'll put my booster jab in as well, so yeah, yeah, I'll keep you away for an hour or so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh,
2: well, to get a Newcastle view on this weekend's match, I've been speaking to Alex Hurst, who is the host of the Newcastle podcast True Faith. I started by asking what life was like in the post Mike Ashley era.
5: Life's much better, despite the perilous league position. You know, we always wondered as fans how many people Ashley had forced away from the club in terms of match-going fans, and that figure seems to be about 20,000. You know, the, the the stadium is full. Yeah, you can't get a ticket for games anymore. It's kind of how it used to be pre-Mike Ashley. So despite the, the problems on the pitch, uh, fans have re-engaged, which is brilliant.
2: Yeah, I mean, how's how's form lately? We're talking ahead of of your game with uh, with Liverpool. Um, so, I mean, how's how's form been lately under Eddie Howe? I mean, I I, I saw that you got your first win of the season against uh, against Burnley, uh, but have performances changed?
5: Performances have been miles better. Uh, sadly, results haven't followed. You know, Howe's t- taken five points from his first five games, which is an improvement because the team were were on about half a point a game before he came in. But I think. I think performances should have led to about uh, eight or nine points from those five games. So while that's incredibly promising performance-wise, we really need the points. Yeah,
2: I mean, in terms of, of, of players that have, uh, have stepped up, what's changed? Is there, is, is there anybody who's, who's had a new lease of life under Eddie Howe?
5: Yeah, definitely. John Joe Shelby's a player that many Newcastle fans would not have thought would have risen Back to being a key part of the team under Howe, but he, he really is a changed player. He looks revitalized. He's, he's, he's now an integral selection. And uh, yeah, he's been absolutely brilliant. You know, uh, players like um, Miguel Alvaron and, you know, players who, who were a little bit marginalized under Bruce all seem to have found a new lease of life, which is great because they are good players. They are, they are our best players. So Howe's done a really good job of uh, reintegrating those guys very quickly. Yeah,
2: and um, I mean, I I saw as well most recent goals. Callum Wilson. He's, how's he doing?
5: Brilliant. He's got that pre-existing relationship with with Howe, which which seems to have worked really well as well. He's a, he's a complete leader. I mean, if we were to lose him, it's not that far until January now. But I I, I think he's the one player in the whole squad who's completely irreplaceable for Newcastle.
2: Yeah and uh, I mean you mentioned before about uh, the the fans being back in in St James's uh, in in the numbers. Um obviously it's been it's been a bit of a weird time I guess because everything was behind closed doors and then it was kind of opening up again and um that like you say now there's there's uh, there's a full house every week. Um how 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 important has that been for the team?
5: Oh massive that. That home game against Burnley was was one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, the support was just out of this world you know it was 18th playing 19th uh in the di- in the division and uh, the atmosphere you know pe- people will talk about that game for years to come because because everyone in the whole stadium uh from any castle's perspective was so behind the players it was, it was the same against norwich when we went down to 10 men after eight minutes it's like the crowd sucked the team through to get a point Could, should have really won the game in fact against 10 men um so that's just as a football fan you know, like you say, we have had that little spell of of being away. But when we came back at the start of the season, it was just rubbish again because it was Bruce and it was Ashley. Uh, it was almost like you hadn't been away in terms of things being as bad as there were people. You know, the crowd, uh, the the ground not being full, the stadium being quiet, people getting on the, the players' backs and the managers' back. Uh, this is a totally different scenario, much more enjoyable as a supporter.
2: Yeah, what's, uh, what's the hope for the season now? I mean, obviously, uh, as we speak in, in 19th place, but uh, but the, the outside of the relegation zone it looks very much within touching distance, does it?
5: Yeah, the hope for the season is 17th place. Uh, it's funny, actually, because all Mike actually ever wanted was to finish 17th, and now we really need to. <laughs> um, we can realise his dream. But, yeah, it's just it's going to be really hard. To... Stephanie Castle will have to make history as the first team not to win any of their first 14 uh, Premier League games to stay up in a 38 in a game season, so it's a massive ask. And, and you know the next three fixtures: uh, Liverpool, Manchester City, Man United. Uh, then two tough away games back to back in Everton and Southampton. I mean, you know, there's five five fixtures there before January. And the transfer window opens. We've just got to stay. We've got to stay four, five, six points from seventeenth and hope to go again in January. <laughs>
2: I mean, it's it's funny as well that um, you look at a, a team like City coming to town. Um, I mean, first off, what's, what are your expectations for that game? How, how do you think Newcastle will play?
5: Uh, the expectation is that uh, we are hard to beat at home. Our home record is not too bad this season for a team in our position. And, you know, I'd, I'd really like to think Newcastle could maybe take a point, obviously, Manchester City in fantastic form after well not just the Leeds game before the Leeds game too but the Leeds, the Leeds game in particular shows you what can happen if if Man City are on a good day and you're you're a little bit off it like Leeds might have been so be a really hard game but I'm I'm still really looking forward to it at, at home I always give us a chance against anyone at St James's Park it's away from home that would do most of our terrible work so uh, I'm still looking forward to the game.
2: Yeah, and I mean, it's, it, we have to talk a little bit, I guess, about uh, about the ownership because um, there's been there's been a lot of criticism towards Newcastle with uh, with the new owners, and there's been uh, a, a similar sort of criticism towards City in the past about uh, about the, the the social issues that that, that uh, fans face with having owners from a country like Saudi Arabia and uh, a place like Abu Dhabi for City. Um, what's how how do you kind of compartmentalize it all at the moment?
5: I've done a lot of media about this, and I say the same thing to everyone you know what if if, if there needs to be rules in English football about who owns football clubs and them being either uh, not from autocratic states or not from uh, you know anyone who would deem to be bad for the English game, whatever that might mean, do it these you know these people just do it you don't need me or you or any other city or Newcastle fan to legislate English football like we're very much not not considered when people at the top make these decisions about how English football works. So if listen, if 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 football needs uh, governance and and restructuring, great, you know, crack on and do it. But don't come to me or another football fan and say, why are you letting this happen? Because we're not letting this happen. Uh, this happens to us. The the Premier League don't like governance. They don't like the fan interview. They don't like outside interference. Fine. That's okay. That that is how it is but what do you want ordinary football fans to do about this? We don't have a say in it. Um, you know, we, we, we don't get asked, should football fans be asked about when the football club has taken over? I think so, but the people with the power in the game, write up, you know, n- not just the, the decision makers, but people in the media, uh, people who make a lot of money out of football, they're quite happy with the way football works at the minute. So I don't quite understand why it therefore falls on football fans who are given the least say at all to be the ones who have to speak out about this it doesn't make any sense to me
2: yeah and shoulder the responsibility as well it's uh, yeah it's yeah. Uh, it's an unfair burden oh. at times um in a similar sort of vein uh, when you look across at city and, and the takeover in, in 2008 where where do you kind of hope Newcastle can go from here in, in in terms of the resources that the club now has assuming that you can that you can stay in the league this season
5: yeah i would love obviously to replicate what city did i think that might be hard for a number of factors Football's changed since 2008, and, and financial fair play is now a much bigger thing. And there's all sorts uh, of, of, of barriers. Um, not, not least that City have shown how to do it, and other clubs will be more mindful of that as well, and trying to prevent a similar kind of thing happening to you know to the elite of the game being breached like that. You know, Amanda Stavely said on day one, she wants to win the Premier League in the next five to ten years. That's their ambition. Uh, they also want to make Newcastle one of the five biggest football clubs in the world. I'm fully behind that, of course. Whether they can do it is a different question. Uh, staying up this season is the first part. Um, but you know what? If, if Newcastle can be a team that competes every single season in the top 10 of the Premier League with aspirations of the top six, that would be enough for me.
2: Yeah. Um, just final question then. We have a charity bet coming up a bit later on in the show. Uh, what's your score prediction for this? I'll let you uh, I'll let you take my bet.
5: <laughs> like sir I'll go 2-2. Two, two.
1: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
5: That was Alex
2: Hurst from True Faith. Um, Now, surprisingly, none of last week's panel saw a 7-0 thumping of leads coming, so we're still on £930 for the charity bet this season. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single, and the winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank. They're collecting donations of food and money for Manchester Central Food Bank, which helps people living in poverty in the city. Um, We heard from Alex that he's gone uh, with an optimistic, Two all draw. That's uh, 28 to 1 and £280 if he's right on that. Uh, we'll start with you, Howard. What's uh, what's your score prediction for this guy? Confident 3 0. A confident 3 0 is 6 to 1 and £60 if you're right. Uh, Dan? An even more confident 4-0. An even more confident 4-0 is 9 to one and £90 if you're right. You've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. Please gamble responsibly. And for more, visit BeGambleAware.org. Now, to finish the show this week, uh, I just wanted to uh, reflect on this. This
1: conference... Para comunicarle que Is to communicate
0: el, el that I have decided de jugar al, al fútbol to start playing football
1: just
2: that was from Sergio Aguero's news conference on Wednesday morning as he announced that due to his health and recently diagnosed heart arrhythmia he's retiring from football um weirdly it's quite nice that City play Newcastle this weekend because he scored more goals for City against Newcastle than any other team it was 15 in 15 um Dan I watched this live this this news conference um And the second he took to the stage in tears, (laughs) it absolutely broke me. Um, were, Were you watching along at the same time?
3: I was, yeah, I was covering it live at work, so I had to, I had to keep it together a little bit. But I, sh- I shed a tear myself. I'm not gonna lie. My girlfriend was sat next to me, crying her eyes out as well. It was, uh, it was, it was heartbreaking, wasn't it? I'd, obviously, the, the news had been kind of trailed the day before that he was going to make this announcement. Um, it wasn't confirmed what that announcement would be, but I think everybody read between the lines. And I don't know. There was a small part of me that kind of thought maybe he's not going to retire. Maybe he's just going to come out and say, "Oh, yeah, we're still going to, you know, keep trying and see what happens." But when they showed him. You you know, the 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 stay shut up at Camp Now and there was all the, the players from Barcelona there and you know other people like Guardiola and Cheeky there, you, you knew what it was gonna be, didn't you? And as soon as he comes on he's, he's in tears already, then yeah, it, it was awful, awful to watch. But yeah, what what a what a tragic uh end to his career it is, really. Yeah,
2: how would it I have to say, it's a sad end to like it's a great player who doesn't deserve to to have his career ended like that, does he?
0: Mm, I mean sadly you just don't get fairy tales in football all the time. You don't get to write the script. He was so good at such an early age. Uh, be thankful that he still had a good fifteen years of absolute world class football in him and a fair, you know, a fair length career. Uh, but he had more to give, and it's sad. But I was I was sad because he's the happiest footballer I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, mm-hmm. and to see him crying is just horrible. Uh, but I'm, I'm relieved as well because at the end of the day, he's had that he's had a damn good career and his health's more important, and I'm kind of relieved that he has made the decision to look after his health over playing a bit more football for a year or two. So yeah. it's more visually that, yeah, I, you knew what the press conference was about and he's got his you know, full life ahead of him and, yeah, hope he finds a new passion that makes him really happy. Yeah,
2: it's it's. I I feel a little bit sad down that it that it didn't end at City in in a way because it, it feels like the the Barcelona era Aguero is just kind of tacked on and it doesn't like it's not the same player and in in the not the same vein. And you look at it's like those a lot of those veteran players that City signed in in the Norses, where you thinking yeah. they, like your career does not deserve to go out with a year at City. Do you know what I mean?
3: Yeah. Well, there, well, there was um there was a video that Barcelona posted on their social media yesterday. Where after the press conference, they'd sort of got him to say a little piece to camera, and his his eyes are still bloodshot from crying. And He sort of said, "Oh, thank you, Barcelona. I'll always, I'll always cheer for you." And this kind of thing, and I felt like, I felt like, like he's not really your your legend. He's our legend. You know what I mean? He's our he's our boy. Really, his his career with them, you know, got off to a bad start with with the fact that he was going there to to join up with Messi, and Messi left suddenly, and that was. A bit of a blow for him really you know he's he, he had injury problems he, he came back from that and and scored a consolation goal for against Real Madrid and I think he made five appearances in total um yeah and I, at the time that we'd decided not to extend his contract I, I was I was gutted about it obviously but I was a bit philosophical about it as well I was thinking well you know he's he's sort of come to the end of the road it feels like maybe the right time for both parties to move on and at the time, we were still, you know, hoping to win the Champions League, and I thought that would have been a great way for him to go out to, to win the Champions League. That was something that he said that he he wasn't going to leave City until he won it, and for for us to lose that game in that manner and for him to be crying on the pitch at the end was was pretty awful way to end it. Really, um, the the Everton game was quite nice that he broke that record, but but the actual ending was was quite sad, really. So yeah, yeah for him to like. Go to Barcelona and and then not get his dream of finishing his career at Independiente as well. It's just a real shame. He just, he, he doesn't deserve that. He, you don't, You often do get what you deserve in football, and he hasn't got what he deserved. I don't think.
2: Yeah, and it's uh, Howard. You said before there's no fairy tales, and that it just kind of it, that Champions League final shows it, doesn't it? Because like it's the it's the one thing in his career where that that he hasn't won, and you're thinking mm. like that It's the it's the, if there's any player that deserves to have won it that hasn't won it, it's probably him, isn't
0: it? Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of... Some of our greatest players haven't won some of the biggest trophies available to them, and that's the nature of a team game, in a way. You know, if he was a tennis player, he was one of the best tennis players ever, he'd have the trophies from, you know, he'd have a Grand Slam or something like that. But it's a team game, and that's the way it goes, and there's fine lines, and there's other brilliant teams. And, yeah, we want... No, I wanted to win the Champions League for me, more than anything, but... (laughs) I really, really would have been so sweet if it could have been done. Yeah, yeah. with him, and if it, even so, in his final season, even more so. But even better if he'd done it earlier in his City career and been the star on the pitch. So, because uh, he would have been a bit of an observer if he'd, you know if if we'd won it last season. So, yeah, it's bittersweet in a way, but I don't think he'd have any regrets after such a stellar career.
2: Yeah. Um, there's a petition, down to rename the North stand after him. Um, are, you, are you on board with
3: that? Yeah, great, great idea, that, I think. I mean, obviously, he's going to get his statue as well, but I think that would be such a fitting tribute to him, scoring the, the biggest goal that will probably ever be scored at that end of the ground. Um, it's just, it's, it, it doesn't have a name, so why not rename it to something else? And, and uh, I'm sure it would uh, you know, prompt the usual shite about, oh, you're legit- Legends all played in the last you know few years or whatever. What what history have you got, kind of thing? And I just think, well, I, I kind of like that actually. I kind of like that we we've we've lived through that the the best period in our history, and we're still living through it. And it's and we're still and we're commemorating these plays in this way. I think it's I think it's it's really good for us. So I, I would definitely do that. Yeah, been been yeah. next to the Colin Bell stand. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not that yet.
0: recent. He's not that yeah. recent. Yeah, yeah. But how would I assume you're on board as well? Eh, uh, not. Necessarily. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Yeah, I'm not, no, no, I'm not against it, obviously. I'm just like, the only thing is, there's arguments to be made for so many players in the last decade. He's in the top two anyway. So <laughs> uh, I, I just find it so hard to pick one player, but he's had the career of others and he's got that moment as well, which saved my life, changed my life and, and, so, and all our lives. So... I'm absolutely fine with it, but it's, it's hard in a way when we have created so many legends in such a short space of time that you could rename all of the stands twice over. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, j- just to
2: finish, beyond I mean, beyond the obvious, you know, um, this. It's
5: finished at Sunderland. Manchester United have done all they can. That Rooney goal was enough for the three points. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero...
1: it. Drink
5: it in. Two goals in added time for Manchester City to snatch the title away from Manchester United.
2: So, yeah, beyond that, um, what, are you, what are your favourite Aguero uh, kind of memories and, uh,
3: and moments? Uh, Dan, I'll start with you. For me, it's it's probably his debut uh, against Swansea because I remember, you know, when we signed him, I I, I knew that we were we were signing a, a high-caliber player. I knew a little bit about him. I'd seen a little bit of him, but but not a great deal. It's not like nowadays where, you know, everyone knows the ins and outs of every player from here to Timbuktu. It was like, you know, we'd, we'd signed this guy and there, there was still a little bit of mystique about him and he, he comes off the bench in that game and, and just has an absolute stormer capped off by that, that goal at the end. And it was like it was like we'd put a player on the pitch uh, in, in FIFA or something and sort of like put all the stats up to 99, you know. It yeah. was like we'd, we'd, we'd got this like incredible like computer game player. And I remember coming home in the car after the game um, and looking on Twitter. And this, again, Twitter was was kind of in its infancy a little bit at the time. And I remember just that all the tweets were about Aguero. Aguero it was like Monday Night Football, wasn't it? And all the tweets were like wow you know from other fans and stuff this this guy's amazing and that was the first time I I, I remember that really being the case that everyone had been kind of unified in, in saying something about one player and uh it, you know you just knew that we we'd, we'd got a special player on our hands you knew that we were going to have a, a great relationship with him from from the moment he steps on the pitch really and, and everything that came afterwards was just uh building on that brilliance
0: yeah Howard anything anything else that stands out for you yeah, is 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 Nick my answer? So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've just never seen anything like that. Yeah, I just I, I knew when he signed, as, as Dad said, it's like I think it was the first time I knew we'd signed a superstar. I, I knew David Silva. Yeah, look at all the other big signs. David Silva thought, oh, he, he looks good, but it, it took a while to to realise just how good. Yaya Torre, I thought was like defensiveish midfielder because he had played a bit there for. Barcelona, and it took time to realise just what absolute superstars we'd signed, but I knew with Aguero, oh, we've just signed one of the most exciting forward players in the world. Uh, And that debut still blew me away. I mean, it's like, oh my God. But I mean, the thing with Aguero, he's he's spread it out. He's he's scored heavy goals, he scores against top six sides. It's the genius, you know, he just kept going all the way. So uh, there's too much in a way. There's little individual goals that weren't that important in the scheme of things but still amazing. That really wide goal against Liverpool. Just when you look at the map of where he scored his goals for City, it's just mm-hmm. that one little dot right on the, on the right touch line. Yeah. And the five goals against Newcastle in twenty minutes, the hat trick against Bayern Munich stands out for me as an absolute astonishing Match and there's
2: there's there's so much that we haven't mentioned that you forget as well that you'll sit that we'll finish the recording you'll go oh god I didn't mention this I didn't mention this just because of 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 what he scored Um, I want to finish with uh, the kind of off the pitch stuff as well because like he he really endeared himself to the fans by uh, it's little things like sticking up for the fans when they were spilling onto the pitch at Bournemouth and. I, I, and the, the, the treatment from the stewards and the police there, and he was getting involved and 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 kind of backing the fans there. Even like he did an interview with, um, I can't remember who it was with, but he, he was asked ahead of a Manchester derby, which United player would you would you take at City if you had to take one? And his answer was, well, if I'm being honest, none of them. And it's just <laughs> just, just like, like things like that. It just meant that that like the fans loved him for for kind of the off the pitch stuff as well as the on the pitch stuff. Howard you were gonna you're gonna add something else as well?
0: Was that no? I was, all I was going to say is to be honest, he didn't have to say anything, did he? he just had to smile, and the annoyingly handsome bastard that he is, that <laughs> <laughs> he he'd probably went over the United fan base as well. So, no, he was just a yeah, it sounds ridiculous to say it really, but yeah, the gumpy old man that I am. But he was just a he just seemed a genuine, beautiful human being as well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just very little. Apart, I think only David Louise would have on the planet would have a problem with him. <laughs> uh, uh, for the rest, he was just a wholesome person and just an astonishing football, yeah. footballer and force of nature. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, that's probably the perfect place to end it. So that brings us to the end of this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks also to my guests for today's show, Dan Burke. Thank you, and Howard Hocking absolute pleasure uh, if you've enjoyed the show please give it a rating and a review in all the usual places but especially on Apple Podcasts if you can if you'd like to get some extra shows or you'd like to listen ad-free then you can sign up to our Patreon page that's just £2 a month and you'll get a bonus podcast each Monday as well this coming Monday we've got another edition of City Heaven City Hell focusing on games with Crystal Palace City fan Ali Focus has picked his Heaven and Hell games and so has Palace fan Andre Vincent check that out at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast on Monday uh, We'll be back next week with the final show before Christmas, previewing the matches with Leicester and Brentford, assuming that they go ahead. See you then.
1: That was the Blue Moon Podcast.
4: Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.